Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of spiritual warfare. Today's program is a continuation of the previous one. In the previous program, I was describing Satan as an individual, a being, who is not necessarily as smart as people might think that he is, or perhaps as smart as people would like to think that he is. I know a number of people who have suggested that Satan is this absolute brilliant individual, this brilliant spiritual being who who is very difficult to compete with on an intellectual level. But in the previous program, one of the things that I was explaining was that I don't think that Satan is necessarily as smart as people try to make him out to be. I mean, when you're dealing with a spiritual being who says that he wants to be like the Most High, and he gives a description about the criteria that he is going to use in order to show that he is like the Most High, I really don't think that that criteria really demonstrates a lot of insight on his part. In fact, I would like to begin this program today by suggesting that I don't think that he knew the Most High. I don't. I really don't think that he had a close enough of a relationship with a living God, with the one who created him, to know the depths of his heart. I, I really don't. I do acknowledge that certainly he must have known him in the sense that he knew about him. He had conversations with him. And because of what he said in Job chapter 1 to God about Job, because of what he said, I would suggest that perhaps he did hear a little bit from the Most High about the burden that he had within him, the desire that he had within him, that people might truly know who he is in a different way, in a way that has much more depth than what the demons, or at that time the angels, were able to comprehend and embrace. And in the previous program, I also explained the subject of suffering. I introduced it just briefly in order to mention that it can be very difficult to understand the love of God without experiencing some sin in our lives. For example, how can you truly embrace or understand or comprehend the forgiveness of God? And by the way, I think that the forgiveness of God, understanding his character and his nature and who he is inside to be willing to forgive in the way that he does, how are you really going to be able to embrace that, understand that, comprehend that and rest in that? How are you really going to be able to relate to him on the basis of understanding him as a forgiving person without having some sin? Now, I certainly don't want to encourage you to go out and get some more sin in order to have a greater appreciation for this. I'm very confident that we can use what we have. My point, however, is that I don't see that the angels could have been able to comprehend and appreciate and understand the nature of our God from that point of view. So when the devil rebelled against God, he rebelled against God with his poor understanding of who God is. He rebelled against him in his ignorance. He did not know the Lord like you and I know him now. 
according to the new covenant, according to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. Try to get in touch with this, that the angels may have had direct contact with the Most High. But I don't see any indication that the Most High dwelled within the angels, not like he dwells within us. So when the devil saw us as God's creation, and I explained this in an earlier program, when he saw us, I believe that he saw us as a temptation for himself. He saw us as an opportunity for him to become like the Most High because he could get us to see him as if he is God. We might worship him as he wants to be worshipped. We might acknowledge him as someone who provides us with provisions or protection. We could see him as one who has been elevated above the stars of heaven. He is the one who gives us guidance and instruction and helps us to understand how we are to live our daily lives. And of course, the way that he did this, the way that he began this process of being a God to humanity, was through the lie. He presented the lie that if we only know what is good and evil, then we could be like God. So he became a lawgiver in that sense. That is another way to describe our God as the Most High. The Most High God was one who was a lawgiver. He gave the law through Moses, for example, for a number of reasons, very important reasons. But if the devil himself can be seen or viewed or recognized as a person, a being, who provides us with knowledge concerning what is good and what is evil then he can behave as if he is the Most High, as if he is like God. I believe that that was his intent. That's what I personally see, given the information that I have at my disposal. I certainly would like a lot more information, but I'm pretty confident that this is a reasonable explanation concerning the situation that we have at hand. So when you have the devil who relates to us in this way, he relates to us with pure self-interest. His self-interest, would it be so much of a surprise to see that he would destroy us, damage us, cause us suffering and pain? And I explained in the previous program that some people seem to think that he cares. And honestly, I really don't think he cares. I don't think he cares if he hurts you. I just don't. I think that he's more concerned about pretending to be like God, feeling like he's God, that it really doesn't matter what happens to you and I, that the pain and suffering that we experience just simply isn't within his interest. What difference does it make? Now, when he uses us in this way, when he uses us for his purpose in order to reflect his image, for example, he is using us in a way that God never intended, obviously. Now, there are many things that exist that we could use in a way that they were never intended to be used for, consider a hammer. And, of course, there are a variety of hammers. We have metal hammers and we have rubber hammers. Metal hammers are really good to use to drive nails. But what happens if you use a rubber hammer to drive a nail? Well, if you use a rubber hammer to drive a nail, you might be able to drive one or two nails before you completely destroy your rubber hammer. You may be able to use it in that way, but when you do that you eventually destroy it. That, to me, is a reasonable description concerning how the devil uses us for his personal benefit. He uses us in a way that destroys us. But does he care? No. Why would he care? Now, some people could suggest that he does that out of malicious intent, that he really does want to destroy us. 
And I believe that there could very well be some truth to that. I, I won't deny that. But what I do not want to do is miss out on the opportunity to see that he might be behaving out of ignorance, out of a lack of interest, in addition to the possibility that he really does have malicious intent that he might very well have no interest in these things and he's just simply trying to follow through with his desire to pretend to be like the Most High, thinking that in this way, this is what it means to be the Most High. But we are living testimonies. I explained this in the previous program as well. We are living testimonies that the Most High is someone different. We have rejected the devil for who he is. We have rejected him in favor of who the Most High is and what he has to offer. And I believe that is a very important testimony. And I explained that the Lord had a sense of vision, thousands of years worth of vision, looking ahead, suffering tremendously, the ridicule that he experienced from the devil and his demons over who he really is and what he really wanted to see what he wanted to accomplish, that eventually, after thousands of years, it was finally accomplished. Now, when it comes to the subject of suffering, did our God know that we were going to experience tremendous suffering through this? Of course. And I believe that he saw that, that he recognized that. And I believe that he made a decision recognizing the cost, but understanding the benefit. And the decision had to do with the fact that the cost was worth the benefit. And I know that might sound a little awkward, and that might make you feel bad and feel uncomfortable. I can appreciate that. But please understand that I'm not saying it because I've never experienced any suffering. I have a whole list of things that I could talk about in terms of where my suffering has been at, where it is right now. I can give you a whole lot of information concerning my life that would certainly be in the category of something that could be used to compete with. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people who've experienced a lot of pain and suffering, so have I. I can compete with that, and I can say that I'm just the same, maybe worse, maybe not as bad, but worse than others. But that doesn't help anything, does it? It really doesn't. The issue is, is was it worth it? And I will say that out of the suffering that I have experienced, out of the suffering that I'm experiencing now, and the suffering that I expect to experience in the future, From what I can tell through my knowledge of my God after being in a personal relationship with him in the way that I have for as long as I have, I will say absolutely it's worth it. I would prefer that it not occur that way. Absolutely, I would prefer that it not occur in that way. But the fact that it did is the reality that I am faced with and I will be content. I will be content because I know my God. I know what he has done and what I believe he will do with the suffering that I have experienced. And so he had a sense of vision for that. I believe that the Lord could easily look at what the devil was going to do, and his demons were going to do, that he created these angels, and they decided to rebel and fall, and assume an identity outside of what he established. And that he knew that there would be tremendous suffering in the earth and in the world with the people who he created, but that he had enough vision... He's a God who has enough vision to look ahead and see what would be accomplished in the future, something that no one else could have possibly comprehended. 4,000 years of the devil and his demons ridiculing him, saying, You see, we're still winning. We are like God. You are not. And I can just hear him say 
quietly to himself. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You'll see later. And then we'll talk about this again later. It might be 4,000 years from now, but if that's how long it takes, that's how long it takes. And we will have this conversation. And the conversation will be quite short. All I have to do is point to my people, my children, and say, look at them. Look at them after all of the time that you got, after all of the effort that you put in to what you were doing to follow through with what you believed, in the end, these people reject you. The ones who do not reject you are the ones who have been deceived. And when I am able to get through to them, one day the Lord will be able to get through to everyone. They will make a decision, but it won't be on the basis of deception. They will make a decision if they are going to choose the devil or if they are going to choose the Most High. And on that basis, sure, if they want to choose the devil and his demons, they will do so. But they will do so rejecting what the Lord has offered. And he will pass judgment according to his own satisfaction that he provided them with enough opportunity, with enough understanding to make their choice and make their decision. And if that's the way it's going to be, then so be it. They can hang out with the devil and his angels in the end if that's what it's going to be. But in the midst of that, what he gets is a people, a church of living people who will testify eternally. We will testify eternally that the devil is not like God, that there is another. And this other is of such magnitude that trying to explain to the devil who he is, is a waste of time because he, as the devil, will never comprehend what you know, what you can understand, and how you can relate it. Consider suffering in the context of salvation. In program 8 in this series, I referred to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Does that mean that God needed to have sufferings or that he wanted to have sufferings? Absolutely not. But he certainly used them. He used them. What I see here is that he recognized what was at risk that because of what he created and because of the law that he gave that could provide the devil with the means by which he could kill Adam and Eve and all the pain and suffering that would result from that, he saw that, he understood that, and he knew that certainly there would be tremendous risk that that would occur, but it was worth it because he would be able to use it in this way later. If this is the way it's going to be, if this is what it takes, and that's what it took, then this is the way that it would happen. He used the suffering, the death, the pain, everything associated with it in order to make the captain of our salvation perfect, to manifest him in a way that describes perfection, perfection through sufferings. I'm not going to get into this subject in detail right now. I did do a series on the subject of suffering And I also have a verse-by-verse study on the book of Hebrews. I would like to encourage you to listen to the verse-by-verse study on Hebrews and listen to the series that I did on suffering. 
proceeding into Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered. Being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So additional sufferings. And then we have the issue of temptation. Now, this is where I want to go for the rest of this program, is into the subject of the temptations that he experienced. Because he did experience temptations. Now, when the living God manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us as the Lord Jesus, I believe that there is evidence to show to me, there is evidence to show that the devil did not quite understand, did not necessarily know that Jesus was the divine living God manifested in the flesh, here to live as a man, to dwell among us and live among us so that he could do what he came to do, accomplish the work that he came to accomplish, and also to be able to relate to us in a way that certainly no other God ever would be able to, because he decided to live here from the womb all the way to the tomb, to resurrection and to live beyond. He worked with us. He ate with us. He did a lot with us. He attended our festivals. He visited with people. He lived life. As we live life, we cannot look to our God and say, you don't understand. You don't relate. Because he's one who can say, oh, yes, I can. I was there. I was there. And you know what? I came during a time period where I didn't have all of the technology that you have now. I did not have all of the advantages that you have now. I did not have all of the wonderful amenities that you get to enjoy now. I really did rough it while I was here. How about you? Why don't you do that? You want to claim that I can't relate to you? Well, why don't you claim that you can relate to me and try living the way that I did during that time? These are just, of course, speculative ideas. I don't think that he necessarily has to have a conversation with you like that. I'm I'm just expressing to you, trying to express to you, that this is a God who lived as a man intentionally so that he could do all that he did. And I don't think that the devil really knew who he was talking to. I don't think he really saw it himself. I really believe that the Lord did this in a way that was so secretive that not even the demons themselves really understood who it was that was in their presence. Like I said earlier, I don't think that they knew the Most High in the depths of his being, in his character. I don't think that they knew him before. Why would it be so surprising to suggest that they didn't know who they were looking at when he was here also? Why would that be so much of a challenge? So, proceeding with this, I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, where it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone." 
Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, the first thing I would like to mention concerning what I just read here is that they were both quoting Scripture. It wasn't just Jesus quoting Scripture. It was the devil himself also quoting Scripture. Now, certainly he was quoting Scripture in an inappropriate way, out of context, but still... He was using the scriptures. So they were discussing things with each other, and they used the scriptures in order to address the issues at hand. But please understand that this certainly is not mandatory. It just isn't. Don't feel as though you have to memorize scriptures and so that you can engage the devil in this way. If he says, fall down and worship me, all you have to say is, no, thank you. You don't have to quote chapter and verse, all right? Don't feel as though that is absolutely mandatory in order to overcome things. I want you to also notice that the devil seems to have some tremendous influence over the Lord Jesus. Takes him around. Takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. Takes him to this high mountain. I mean, he's really getting around with Jesus, isn't he? To me, this is a description of the devil interacting and interfacing with Jesus in some way that tells me that Jesus may not necessarily have been a willing participant, willing in the sense that if he didn't want to be a participant in this, he certainly could decide not to. But to me, there is some kind of intervention that is taking place that Jesus could simply have refused to participate in, but there is something unique, something unique happening here where the devil has tremendous influence over the mind of Jesus. So if this is the kind of influence that he has over Jesus, where he can take him around like this, now it may not have been physical travel. It could simply have been visions that the devil was giving him. I will allow for that possibility. If this happens, then would it be so much of a surprise if the devil had that kind of influence over us? I personally have encountered situations where the devil has been able to invade my mind very temporarily to give me visions, to give me things that I know were definitely from him. I rejected those things, and I resisted the devil. I repelled him, and I overcame those circumstances. And so to me, I've got personal experiences concerning these things. I don't want to encourage you to try to find some personal experiences like this. I don't think it's a healthy thing to get involved in. I certainly didn't look for it, but it came upon me as a result of some of the conflict I was having between myself and some Satanists and stuff that I believe that they were doing rituals that eventually had this kind of effect with demons being so aggressive that required me to be aggressive with them and get them out of my head, get them out of my life, which I did. And I'm very thankful for that experience. I believe that the Lord intervened and set me free from that which otherwise would have certainly been Very painful. So what I see here is interaction taking place between the Lord Jesus and the devil that can suggest that we ourselves might have similar kinds of interactions with the devil and that I also would like to say that it's not a good idea to pursue those things. These were temptations. And to what degree he was tempted, I have no way of describing. And in addition to that, 
I certainly cannot relate to the same kinds of temptations that he experienced. For example, I don't know of any occasion that I've ever been tempted to turn a stone into bread. I just can't relate to that. But the Lord Jesus could relate to that. He was not tempted in the same ways that we are tempted with regards to the specific sins. He was tempted in the same categories of sins. Categories. I believe a good description of the categories is found in 1 John chapter 2 verse 16. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 where it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He was tempted in these ways. He was tempted with the lust of the flesh, with the lust of the eyes, and with the pride of life, but in a unique way that only he could have encountered. So that was unique to the Lord Jesus. Now, what I would like to mention concerning the subject of this program, what's relevant to this program in terms of the vision of God, is that the Lord knew that these were things that he would be able to accomplish, but I do not believe that he deliberately created the angels for this reason, for this purpose. He created the angels, and he created them with the ability to choose if they wanted to stay in his kingdom, under his authority, or if they wanted to rebel. That's what I see. I see that he gave them the choice. But I do not believe that he created them and then selected a group of them and said, you are going to be evil, and you are going to go to the earth, and you are going to cause all of this pain and suffering because I need to use all of this pain and suffering so that I can accomplish such things as I just described concerning the temptations that he experienced as the Lord Jesus. Did he really need that to happen? No, I don't think so. But I believe that he structured things in such a way that in the event that there was this rebellion, that this rebellion took place, if it did, that he would know how he could use it to his advantage. He could use it to create a greater thing to do something else, to do something more. So when the devil and his demons rebelled, I don't believe that the Lord experienced a significant amount of concern. I don't think he was very concerned when that occurred. I believe that the evidence shows that he was prepared for such rebellion. I don't think he wanted it, but I do believe that he has taken advantage of it. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net